You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host as always. This week, we have another heavy hitter in the property industry in Western Australia. It's Richard Pappas, Managing Director of Celsius Property Group. You've seen his developments in Shenton Park coming up. You've seen Vic Quarter with the brewery underneath. And you've probably seen his plans for North Perth as well. Richard, thank you very much for coming in, mate. Good morning, Trent. Thanks very much for having me. Richard, you got a really cool story comes from the other side of the world that I would love to tie back to. And you've also got a really cool company, clearly full of a, a whole bunch of people that love working together every day. And that's something that when you think about property and the passion we have for it, to be able to share it with a number of people that you can call your mates and do it every day, it probably doesn't get any more lucky than that, does it? No, certainly. We've built the team from within. We're very proud of our team and we really appreciate the hard work and effort and energy that goes in. I think growing from the ground up is highly rewarding and being able to show a clear pathway for our staff to become leaders within our business is cool. Let's talk about building from the ground up. Back when you were a little snapper, you weren't living here, were you? No, I wasn't. No, I grew up in South Africa. My first taste in real estate was putting out my mum's home open signs when I was about five years old in Johannesburg in South Africa. And and then we grew up mostly in Durban and my mum made the decision to bring four kids over when I was 1994, so year 11. And I did uh, my last year of school at Hale. Can you share any memories of what real estate might have been like and is like in South Africa and how it might compare to Perth? In South Africa, there are a whole bunch of compounds now for a variety of reasons, mostly around security. Villas and townhouses with massive fences around them, but beautiful sanctuaries inside. So communities derive largely for safety. And yet here in Perth, whilst we don't need to have the big high fences, which is which is why we love living here, which is why it's the most amazing place to raise a family. We love the fact that we're developing communities in Perth. And and when I say communities, I don't just mean land estates. I mean communities in apartment buildings, communities in terraced housing, communities in throughout Perth, infill and beyond. Yeah, I think that moving forward, that's the theme of what we're looking for in Western Australia is to start to transition into all these different types of housing types and living situations, whether it's owning, renting, having a build-to-rent model. These different housing types provide different types of communities, right? And we'll talk about today that the projects you've got, there seems to be a real spectrum from land to apartments for sale to apartments for build-to-rent model. I'm really interested to hear how and why you've chosen these projects over others that I'm sure come across your desk every day. It takes a lot to get to the top of a big development company like yourself. It doesn't start that way. But you've shared how you were at Hale. What was the next move? I deferred going to uni largely because uh, I would have been treated as an international student. It was going to be very expensive. And uh, I got a job in a steakhouse. And uh, anyway, I was working in a steakhouse. And then I, I ended up meeting John Warren, who's a developer. He offered me a job. I wasn't that keen on everyday real estate from what I had experienced with you know, observing my mum. But this was different. This was about investment property. I was interested in that. I've sort of had an interest in property and an interest in numbers and, and an interest in obviously setting yourself up for the future. So the opportunity to help people invest in property, Perth property, and, and I chose to go to Kalgoorlie and I spent a lot of time working in Kalgoorlie and some of my very best friends and my very best clients who are still my clients today, I met when I was 20, 21, 22 in Kalgoorlie and I looked like I was 12 and I knew I had to have very good knowledge and I'm very thankful that they trusted me to at least invite me in the door and talk about what it meant to invest in property. We were in sales and we're very sales focused so so our business is very much around the end occupant 
like ultimately it's 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 really about what does the end occupant want whether they are a tenant whether they are a buyer whether they're an investor or an own occupier but also we found that it's really good if you can take control of what you're delivering and so we set up Andrew Pierce Tim Gross myself and Rob Remigio set up our development business in about 2003 with 100 grand each and uh, we were committed to practicing with our own money before anyone else's and so we started we developed eight townhouses in in uh, Belmont. That's a big start as a first development, an eight townhouse site. You could have started with a house behind a house or something. Uh, I don't know. I guess maybe because we hadn't really been involved in doing houses behind houses. So it's kind of <laughs> what we knew, or what, sort of what we knew. That was yeah, a reasonable starter. We sold them all off the plan because we know how to do that. And on completion, each one of those was worth about 170 grand more than we had sold them for. And our total development profit was 130. So we made a profit and the buyers made a heap and that was terrific. I guess it's always good to get off to the right start when it comes to development. A lot of people, when things don't work out from the first time, think, well, that wasn't worth the stress and the risk and the time, and they turn to the stock market or other things. But you were well rewarded. Obviously, timing can help and, and good decisions when it comes to location and product and those sort of things that I guess you learn more. A bit of dumb luck when you first start, isn't it, a lot of the time? But across the four of you, how did you find the planning situation? Do you remember how financing and those sort of things were back in 2003? It wasn't too bad, actually. I think we've, in, so, in many respects, we've made things a lot more complicated today yeah. across the spectrum and there's so many more layers of cost there's so many more layers of approval back then it wasn't that hard we did have a few challenges I think we had to bond something but it wasn't that bad from those eight townhouses we went on to do 10 in Bayswater and six in Vivash but we were pretty passionate about Victoria Park and pretty passionate about Scarborough like we liked areas that in a town centre but still represented pretty good value when compared to other comparable locations in terms of distance to the city mm. and so we you know we moved our first apartment project was one on Albany Highway in Vic Park and we've done about six or seven along Albany Highway before we met the Fowlers Bob and Marilyn Fowler who were the landowners and the ultimate owners of the Vic Quarter and and they trusted us to assist them to develop Vic Quarter and we're immensely proud that they gave us that opportunity. It was a building that was designed to have Boston Brewing Co., which they own in the building from inception. And it was at a time when sales weren't that easy, but mm. build prices were, and you know, consultants were really readily available. And so the ability to build the entire building without a single pre-sale was pretty exciting to us. And then to invite people in to have a look at the product before they had to make a decision to buy was very rewarding. Don't you wish that we could do more of that? I mean, apartments is obviously a big step for a lot of people in WA. And I've always found that the requirement banks put on us as developers in the apartment space to sell X amount off the plan from a risk mitigation point of view is one where you're nearly underselling the project in a way. You're discounting the idea of something that will be built in a few years if things work out. And the best outcome in terms of values is always when people can come in, touch and feel at the end of the day. You just don't get that opportunity very often when you're financing things through the big banks. Yeah, so long as you do a good job. I mean, I think there've been plenty of examples where some developments have not been able to get them away off the plan and the product hasn't met the expectations of the buyer. Mm. We have a very immature, or we certainly had a very immature apartment market in Perth. I mean, we haven't been doing apartments in Perth other than South Perth, East Perth for very long. Nothing like Sydney, Melbourne, and overseas. Brisbane's moving massively in that direction over the last 15 years. Yeah, but the transition to apartment living in Perth has come at a rapid rate. I think we sold our first apartment to downsizers probably eight years ago. I mean, we hadn't heard of a downsizer before that. We were selling to first home buyers at the end of a project and investors at the start. Mm. And so the, the makeup of those apartment buildings was really investors and a few first home buyers. Whereas now, downsizers make up anywhere from 
60 to 95 percent of a project and that's a market that has the ability to buy today and it's one that we need to embrace but they also want to buy where they live they don't want to be told that they need to go and buy in east perth or in leaderville they want to be able to buy in the community that they've grown up in that where their family home is you said that there's been a real shift in the buyer profile for apartments it's clear that there has been it clear, it's clear that right now really the only buyer is the downsizer in most cases or the third or fourth buying investor a big part of that is that shift obviously in in that we're providing that product now we're able to provide that product but i think another part of that and i'd, I'd like your view on it as well is that it's pretty hard to convince anyone that doesn't have the free cash flow of a downsizer to actually pay the money we need them to right now if you're an investor or a first home buyer. There's still so many options in the fully detached house space uh, that probably look like there's better value. Uh, in some areas, for sure. Vic Corder was a good example. 105 apartments, 93 sold to own occupiers, and then about 50% of those were young professionals and about 50% were downsizers. Whereas in Claremont, Lucent, probably more like 65% downsizers, but we still had some good young professionals working in the hospital precinct that did buy into that building as well. So it just depends where you are and the demographic, and you have to design according to the demographic for the area. The problem we have right now is the, the, the cost to deliver an mm. apartment building and, and where can we do that for a price that meets the financial capacity of that area. It's only Western suburbs downsizers right now. It's largely, frustratingly, it's largely Western suburbs. That's right, yeah. That's the only place where there is a buyer capacity in terms of the elasticity with regards to price. You mentioned Lucent. There's another one of your projects that's uh, completed in the last couple of years. How would you compare your experience at Vic Quarter to Lucent? Very different in the context of Vic Quarter was designed, built, and then taken to market. Lucent, we were coming into a, a precinct, an oval precinct that already had Giorgio Complete 98 apartments, Mervac well underway with two of the sites, circa 200 apartments, Blackburn uh, 130 apartments and, and Iris with terrace sites. So when we looked at that piece of land, uh, which was actually zoned commercial, we, we thought we better do something different. And we were pretty convinced that there would be a market in the western suburbs, in that location, that wanted big apartments but didn't want to be in a big building. And it's not to say that there aren't plenty of people that are happy to be in a big building and all the facilities that they have, but we bet that there would be a segment of the market that was happy to to take a big apartment in a small building. And then what we did to achieve our pre-sales and to learn about what the downsizer actually wanted in apartment living, we actually ran a design your own apartment campaign and Tim and myself largely, we went and met with the first 20 buyers with Hillam's proposed plans and butter paper and just got people to redraw what they imagined. Uh, and that gave us invaluable data and Hillam were terrific as architects in, in capturing that information. And we had over a thousand buyer-driven variations, this is obviously a different time in the market where you could accommodate those, but the result was incredible. And you know what, the changes were not that varied. Uh, most people just want a place that they can substitute their living spaces for what they've had in the family home. So good size kitchen, good size living, dining. They want to make sure that the kids and the grandkids are still going to come over for a Sunday lunch if they transition to an apartment. You referenced cost a couple of times. Is it so prohibitive right now that even if you had projects that were ready to go, you'd probably sit on the sidelines? Or are you ready to go? What's the current strategy at Celsius right now when it comes to pressing go on things? We feel like we've got an obligation to assist in, in producing supply into this market. I mean, Perth 
is the most affordable capital city in Australia. And we owe it to ourselves and to Perth to do everything we can to maintain that mantra, and it's hard. But the only way we're gonna do it is create supply. So we're really working very hard to gain approvals for our sites that are capable of being built in the current environment. So what does that mean in detail? Looking for more plot ratio, more height, making the most out of the site? How do you actually achieve this when most of the market will tell you that on their existing developments, their existing DAs, with the current planning system, given the cost increases, given the fact sales prices haven't really moved in lockstep with cost increases, it ain't working anywhere else. Yeah, so Elysian in Subiaco is a good example. I mean, we got an approval there. We, we took that project through SDAU. It's a, it's a beautiful six-storey development, top end of Rockaby Road. Good location. Very similar to Lucent Claremont, double basement, 34 apartments instead of 39. We were anticipating and had been advised to expect cost escalation in construction of about 30%, and that came in well over 50. Mm. We had to go and have an uncomfortable conversation with our initial buyers around the fact that we had to increase the price on them in order for the development to be viable. And that was challenging, but once again, sitting on our hands wasn't an option. And we were, for sure, some buyers were not happy to, to stay with the project or their circumstances had changed, but the vast majority of buyers backed us to deliver the project on two conditions. One, we didn't reduce the quality, and two, we didn't wait. We got on with it. Mm. Uh, and well, so that's what they want at the end of the day, isn't it? Because because they have waited, they've yeah. waited for their houses to increase in value, and now their houses have increased way more than the cost of that apartment. Mm. So in that location, you can you can make it work. In other locations, it's a combination of making sure you get your product mix right. We're finding a very unusual situation where. A bigger apartments sell for higher square meter rates than smaller apartments. When I first started, you know, one bedroom apartment mm-hmm. sold for a higher square meter rate than a two bedroom and then a three bed, and now it's completely of, inverse. Think about land, right? You know, normally the smaller the block, the higher square meter rate. It's nearly the other way now, where people are the market is telling you we value larger apartments more so than smaller apartments. It doesn't suit certain buyers, but on the other hand, we need to still maintain an affordable edge. So we do need, and we have the opportunity with larger projects in locations like our North Perth project, where you can really offer housing choice within the project. So you can have a diverse range of one bedroom, two bedroom, two bathroom, three bedroom, two bathroom, and potentially a couple of four bedroom apartments. And that in that location is gonna appeal to young professionals and it's going to appeal to downsizers too. You said you went through the SDAU for Elysium. Elysium. How was the experience? Uh, It was pretty good for us, yeah. We were happy with that process. The site had serious challenges in terms of trying to get approved through the city of Subiaco for a long period of time. So you'd tried that, hadn't you? We hadn't. Our joint venture partner had previously, and then we were introduced to the site by Graham Taylor from Taylor Robinson Cheney Broderick, who got involved in Lucent on a personal level and appreciated what we did and and introduced us to Elysian, to Greg Pierce, with the basis of could we do something similar. It was at that COVID time and the SDAU pathway had opened up and it was a pathway that we progressed through and progressed through relatively seamlessly. Did you get in early? We were in Probably pretty early. Helped. I think yeah. I think we were the third approval, but I but don't quote me on it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess you are quoting me now. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we were the third approval. I think that probably helped a little bit. The feedback we received recently from Dave Hillam on his OBH application is, you know, it's more like two years it's sort of taking him to move through this process. So probably got in on the front end of all the backlog that's come in and in a political environment where they're probably obviously looking to provide solutions rather than speed humps, which is 
a lot of the time the usual situation in planning, unfortunately. Let's segue, you've, you've mentioned North Perth, and I have an, a particular interest in this one because I uh, live just down the road. I shop at Coles often, and I've looked at the end of that block for a while as being quite unloved and an opportunity for some real critical mass of people to support some fantastic cafes and retail shops that could go in there. And I think if the ownership in the Coles in North Perth wasn't set up in such a mangled up way, you could probably have that height above Coles as well. I guess probably a, a step too far to get all those guys to agree to anything there in the first place. But the fact you've been able to pull all those sites together over the last eight years and then put together what I think is a really fantastic looking development. I'm not surprised, but I feel some empathy for you about the process you're currently going through in, in trying to get an approval. Can you explain how it's gone and what you're trying to achieve in detail? We developed 484 Fitzgerald Street, the Fitz, that's been finished probably six years. That was 34 apartments. We also developed 496 Fitzgerald Street, another 14 apartments. So we know North Perth pretty well. We saw it a little bit like Vic Park, only a much, much shorter high street. We feel like it needs some revitalization oh, it does. as a it high does. street. Yeah. And we know that good quality development and a bit of density is the best way to revitalize an area. Mm. We didn't set out to acquire from Alma Road to Raglan Road a street to street 4,700 square meter site, but we have that under our control at present, which presents an incredibly unique opportunity. But it still comes with its challenges because it sits within a planning framework that hasn't been updated since those downsizers first appeared. 12 years is a long time. In what we've been through in terms of how we're changing how we want to live, uh, it's a very long time. It also has some challenges because it's a largely district centre site abutting character residential with no transition zone. That presents challenges. And so our proposal, uh, which was unanimously refused at JDAP in December, but our proposal to create height on Fitzgerald Street to allow us to maintain over 50% of our site at three storeys, we thought paid respect to the neighbours. But unfortunately, it wasn't seen that way at JDAP. We got all green lights at DRP, but we lost and, and our goal now is to find a way to progress because people still want to live in an apartment in North Perth. Mm. The North Perth Town Centre revitalisation still has to go ahead. We know it's not 13 and 11 and we're really keen to continue to engage with the city and all key stakeholders to find a, a, a way to gain an approval that's capable of being built in this environment and getting on with it. So is it a new application? Is it mediation? Is it sat from an experienced developer to many people listening what's the smart move from here to be able to as you said move as efficiently as possible towards an end result look we don't see spending lots of time and money fighting as being in anyone's interests so sat's definitely not something that we were entertaining we've started a mediation process and we're just reviewing at present whether we maintain mediation on an amended DA or whether we lodge a new DA and uh, we'll make that decision over the next couple of weeks. But our number one priority is to get on with it. Mm. It's funny, I've spoken to a lot of people about this application who were quite informed people and there's still a, a vitriol and you want, you try and figure out what the core of that is because some of those people I speak to who are quite smart, lawyers or they're, you know, they're, they're in the planning space and not, there's still a not in my backyard situation and it's got to do with, for me, the nominal height. And I, I guess have to ask people out there, how does it really make a difference to your life if a development that is 11 or 13 or 14 or 10 stories high, how does it actually affect you if overshadowing meets all criteria, if traffic meets 
all standards. If the development's beautifully designed and high quality and it will add amenity because of its critical mass of people that came in, how does it actually affect you? And I continually get this feedback of, well, the zoning says for six, so he shouldn't be allowed to have 11. And it comes from a lack of understanding of how the zoning actually works. It sets an acceptable outcome that's nearly a tick and flick. But then the design principles sit around that to allow developers to demonstrate through qualitative means how and why we should be able to achieve extra height to benefit the community in different ways. And unfortunately, it doesn't seem even at a planning level within JDAP, in my opinion, that doesn't seem to be understood properly. And that's where we're as a, as a society going to have to keep evolving. Otherwise, we are going to end up in a situation where we're building Gilderton for our next land development and continuing the freeway that far up. It's not an acceptable outcome in WA. And what we're going to need is for society to start maturing and seeing infill opportunities around our activity centres as positives for more opportunity for us to go, oh, I bet there's going to be a great bar there. I bet it'd be great if Blaster Brewery would come in there. You know, this is what these developments allow for. Unfortunately, everyone uh, seems to have a bit of a stickler view about these things still, and, and I look forward to the day when society matures on that and maybe has a quick fly over to Brisbane and checks out what life is like over there as well. So many more trees, so much more square meterage for green space, and community space and those sort of things. It's a vibrant place, Richard. North Perth is just 2.3 kilometres from the CBD. Fitzgerald Street will run straight into Edith Cowan University. It is an inner city location. We need to pay the suburb respect. We need to maintain the character of the suburban streets. We need to preserve that tree canopy. If we can't get reasonable density, good quality density on Fitzgerald Street in the middle of a high street, then I'm really just not sure where we can. And the City of Vincent planners have have really, they've had a difficult job and they've done it really well. I don't think there's anyone to blame. In the community, we see the fear, we acknowledge the fear around change, substantial change, and perhaps making sure that the community has taken on the journey and the planning framework is updated on a more regular basis to keep up with the change, Mm. to keep up with the transition from low-rise living to medium to high-rise living and all the benefits that come with that. Vic Corder, I haven't, and it's not surprising, I guess, that I haven't had it, but I haven't had anyone come to me and say, oh, this is terrible for me as a a community member. But uh, there are probably a couple out there, but I can assure you we've had dozens, if not hundreds, that have come up to us and said, oh, the Boston Bruin is so great. It's amazing. Modus Coffee is amazing. Woven in Willow Boutique Store is amazing. So the vibrancy that that comes with, that, that that's not just about the community that lives within the building. It's about the broader community is something that gets delivered over time. And if we do it well, and as an industry, we owe it to, to ourselves to not take advantage, but to do it well. And the more we do it well, the more accepting the community will become, the better off we will be. Yeah, you're right. It is simply going to be a build-up over time of people being exposed to the lifestyle and the benefits that that apartment living brings. Build to rent is something you're starting to dip your toes in the water in Shenton Park. You know, we've got a rent roll just like uh, lots of other real estate agencies, and we've just seen that diminish since COVID, really. I mean, the number of, dare I say it, feeling long-suffering investors that are choosing the upturn in the market to sell is incredible. And they're all selling to own occupiers. And COVID has displaced people. So the idea that the stimulus housing was going to create all this 
surplus accommodation and that all all of our tenants were going to move out of their rental into their new home that they had built with stimulus just hasn't eventuated. Why hasn't it eventuated? Well, lots of those tenants uh, were in share housing. So one person in a share housing of three goes and buys a house, two others are displaced, the owner, the investor, puts the house in the market, sells it to an unoccupied, we need to find two new rentals. And so I just don't see mum and dad investors returning to Perth in any way, shape or form as required to replace the over 18,000 rentals we've lost mm. since January 2021, mm. according to Demers and Cathard at Rewa. 18,000 rentals. That can only be replaced with institutional bill to rent, in my opinion. They can do the heavy lifting, but it's challenging. Like anything, these bill to rent developments work on really tight margins. And so you've got to do them in a place that currently stacks up. And, at a scale. And at scale. And at Celsius, we believe we've got the efficiencies within property management, within facility management, within development management to be able to bring that to fruition in a timely manner. And we're very excited to be able to do that in Montario Corda, which is a development, WA development. We did a development in there, which last week won the UDI National Small Scale Award. Tell us about it. Park Terraces. We're so proud of that project. It's 12 terraced houses. It's unique. The architecture is very appealing. It gives a great nod to Shenton Park. It embraces parkland on, on two sides. It's got a tremendous tree canopy between the two rows of terraces on level one above the driveway. We built a landscape deck that allowed each resident to have outside living internally and on balconies facing outward. It really celebrates the future of medium density. It's not lost on me that even though we've spent the last 15 or 20 minutes talking about apartments, we moved in Perth very quickly from houses, villas and townhouses to houses and apartments. But there are many people that would love to live in a villa, townhouse, or dare I say it, a terraced house, and know that they don't have someone above them or below them. And so. Development WA have done a great job in Shenton Park in creating a subdivision that includes both small lot, green title living, some group dwellings, well, really only one being park terraces, and then some apartment sites. Should I say, in a transit-orientated development precinct, which is six or 700 metres from the train station and has Shenton College on its doorstep. Uh, there's so many benefits to the area, and I think it's been planned out really well, and, and all the proponents going in there, the developers, they're all reputable you know this whole place should be a really high quality outcome when it's all finished one day you, you talk to the median density code there and it does speak to that new housing type that new housing product that we haven't seen a lot of in Perth for a hundred years there's a bit of it on Lake Street in a bit of it on Robinson Street in Perth these sort of areas that uh, the old workers cottages back in the day or workers terraces it seems like the planning teams at the state level want to bring that back to allow for more tree canopy and uh, what that means is more shared walls and those sort of things. It's a pretty expensive way to build. And the, and the concern I've got is that for decades now, there's been a big gap filled in the urban infill space by mum and dad developers. People who were maybe doing a million dollar development maximum, something like that. That's where we've seen all the triplexes and the townhouses before the cost went up. Now that this new code starts to really make it a lot harder for that type of development to happen and really pushing for that terrace housing to happen, I see it really starting to preclude the mum and dad and really only leave it to people like us who have the means and the patience and the technical ability to actually get things like this done in the future. It concerns me a bit. 
and the reason for that is we're in a housing crisis and it can't all be left on the professional developers shoulders just to get something built in the middle of a suburb can you see this becoming a little bit of an issue in terms of complexity it seems harder than it used to be with this new code I'm not totally across it to understand how much harder it's become for mum and dad developers slash investors. I think that they play, they have a, a, an absolutely an important role to play. I think it's important that we do look to preserve our tree canopy. I think there are suburbs that we've really hammered. We've really <laughs> hammered, and I think that in some of the greenfield areas, there is very limited tree canopy, and and tree canopy is important. By statistics, we are the worst state in terms of tree canopy. And it's it's not even close. We're pretty bad at yeah. it. Yep. And you know, I guess what's interesting is that the people that live around North Perth and Subiaco and Vic Park and that they drive around and they see the odd relatively tall apartment building, they go, wow, there's apartments everywhere. But they don't drive to the end of the freeways to see what's going on in the single detached housing estate. Not many trees out there. And everyone's trying to do better. We're all trying to develop to do better. I sit on the UDI council and uh, we had a strategy meeting yesterday and you know, we really were looking at what do we do well and what can do what can we do better and i think that there's no question that everyone agrees very serious experienced respected people in the industry all agree that perth needs more infill perth needs to become denser uh, for sure we still need detached housing for no, for sure we still need master planned estates but we need to do everything better we need to take our community and our end occupants on that journey if Mark McGowan removed this foreign buyer surcharge tomorrow, would that make your life easier? I think it'll make everyone's life a bit easier because it would entice those foreign buyers to choose Perth to invest in an apartment off the plan, which they're used to doing, that they're ultimately going to put into the rental pool. So it'll help us to achieve our pre-sales and it would help produce more rental product. But I don't see that occurring. I really don't. I don't believe we will see the removal of that in Western Australia. I think there is another way to deal with it, and that is to reintroduce the stamp duty rebate. And what I mean by that is to increase it to 75% for off the plan transactions like it was and reintroduce it at 50%. So it's a tiered structure for under construction. And in doing that, we're going to entice not just foreign buyers who obviously will get that benefit. For sure, they'll still pay more, but they will pay a lot less more. Mm. But it'll also... Locals as well. It'll also get local investors and local owner occupiers and, and buyers. Like how many projects have been shelved in recent months? So how many mums and dads who have had a deposit locked up in a trust account yeah. uh, who are now getting that back. I mean, you tell me whether they've got the confidence to go again before it starts construction. I'd argue not. And yet we penalise them by saying, well, unless you buy off the plan and take all that risk, f- perhaps for a second time, you're not going to get a stamp duty rebate. And so I think that I would love to see the state government in the next budget amend the stamp duty rebate to 75% off plan, 50% under construction. And once the strata plan's registered, you get to touch and feel it, you pay full stamp duty. Yeah, no different to any other property. No different to any other property. Yeah, Yeah. and that that would remove the distortion that pushes people to go and buy in a block of land and building a house on it as a house land package because they only pay stamp duty on the land. That's right. And that's a distortion. And and they're used to buying that product so there's less less fear and trepidation around what the product looks like. I think as a state government, if they're really serious about urban infill and about high-density development and median density development they need to be helping in any way to incentivize the population to start to normalize this housing type and you look at the east coast there's absolutely no compromise in many ways from someone moving from a detached home to an apartment often it can be seen as a prestigious uh, housing type over here it's nearly like oh we live in an apartment do you 
you know, and, and that culture needs to change in Western Australia. And the more the government can incentivize us to try that product out and own product like that, the quicker we'll move and go over our friend's house and go, oh, this is lovely. You know, oh, mum's just bought this out. Oh, this is fantastic. Most people haven't even been in an apartment before. Yeah, That's I, the difference. I, I think it's changing. I think, I mean, maybe because we're in the industry, but the number of people that come up to me and say, wow, Vic Court is amazing. Our friends live at Lucent or whatever the case may be. So I think it's definitely changing. I think we're delivering good Not product. fast enough, though. If not, it was not, happening not, fast enough, we wouldn't need to be incentivizing people and we would have the pre-sales, we would have people paying what they need to to move on in the same way that people in Brisbane, for example. So this is the reality. The, the cost rises for construction have happened in Brisbane the same way they happened in Perth. But the sales prices in Brisbane for apartments off the plan have tracked construction costs. They're continually going up every stage. In Perth, we're not seeing that. And it can only be because there isn't a critical mass of demand pushing that. Because there's certainly no supply. How far behind Brisbane do you think Perth is? 15, 20 years. Do you think that much? Yeah, well, I, w- I was over there a month or so ago and yeah. places like Nedlands, Dalkeith, Ardross, Mount Pleasant, Maylands, uh, they were littered with 15-storey apartment buildings that were schmick. They were really lovely looking places. We've got a few smattered around in Perth, but there are certainly some huge gaps. And I'm not talking one or two apartment developments. I'm talking... If I'm standing on the on the rooftop of one of them, I could count 50 without even having to turn around and look at the other side of the building. I'm a bit more optimistic than that. I, I think we can catch up and we can catch up relatively quickly. We're behind for sure. And I don't think for a second that the state government isn't highly motivated to support infill development and housing supply. It's just you've got a bucket of money. You've probably got tens of thousands of people telling you how to spend it, Mm. what to do with it. It's pretty complicated. And I think as an industry, we probably need to get together and to be more unified with what we're asking for and explain collectively what it is that we can do to assist ease the pressure and what it is that we're asking of government. I'm pretty comfortable that the government is keen to help. We've got to find a way to articulate our ask and to support what it is that they need in assisting us to deliver more supply and to that end it's not just high-end apartments it's not it's not just apartments it's property across the housing continuum whether that be social housing which i i don't know how to unlock whether it's affordable housing subsidies into build to rent to assist with key worker accommodation whether it's disability housing that we've started to get involved in with rocky bay well let's Uh, talk about that if we can sure and there's a huge gap in ndis space obviously there's a few guys who have gone early on special disability accommodation but there's still a massive gap and I think what's happened and it's obvious that the same cost rises we have saw over the last three years across the rest of the housing type hasn't, they haven't been immune to. Uh, and this is a development space that's fraught with end user risk as well as a lot of gaps and question marks about how this moves forward over the next 15, 20 years with government incentives. Do you think this ever becomes a mainstream product where mum and dads can get involved and assist in owning and developing disability housing or is it probably going to be confined to the professional developer? It's at its infancy and where the reason we did a joint venture with Rocky Bay is because they have the end occupant in mind. They know exactly what their client needs. And they trust so, a brand like Celsius. So rather than us try to figure out what the client needs, go to Rocky Bay who understand intimately what they need. Is it likely that that space is capable of being supported by mum and dad developers? It's hard to say. But if we could convince Australian super funds to get involved in investing in build-to-rent in Australia, 
which they are largely absent from right now. It's the overseas super funds at the moment. Then everyday Australians will be able to have exposure to rental properties through their super. And that doesn't necessarily need to be SDA. It can be SDA. It can be uh, residential bill to rent. So I think there is an opportunity for mainstream Australia to invest in property, residential property, through their super. Mm. And we need to work with Australian super funds to get involved in the space. Well, the person who can do that at scale will be a very successful person, I think. If I was a genie in a bottle and I could give you three wishes that would make your life easier as a developer in Western Australia in 2023, what would those wishes be? Help us to streamline and speed up planning. Give me my stamp duty rebate. (laughs) Make it easier to sell. Which instills consumer confidence and find a way to hold the builders that we've got, maintain them in the market, ensure that they are financially viable to continue in our market because we need planning, we need consumers, and we need builders. Mm. Uh, That's probably one thing we haven't spoken about today is the strength of the building industry. We just saw BGC last week essentially close the doors to all new clients on the retail side. They sacked over 100 people last week, and my understanding is it's far worse than the the company line is saying in that space. If BGC is in that precarious position, it makes sense that the other guys at that level are probably feeling it just as bad. And these are the builders we as developers and also mum and dads and clients need to actually play their part in the industry. And the small guys, they're falling off the perch left, right, and center at the moment. There's a real risk right now that it's not interest rates or anything like that that's going to stuff us over. It's that half the building companies in WA just aren't here next year. I think that's more of a reality now than it was a year ago. Yes, we, we need to try to do whatever we can to protect the building industry and the subcontractor industry. They've been through one hell of a time. I mean, It's a profitless to, boom. Well, to expect that any company could maintain their financial position with escalation like what we saw is unfathomable. So I don't blame builders as a generalization, not for a second. We want to maintain the expertise in the industry. The last thing we need is some of those hundred people to go and join the mining industry. We need to keep them in construction. We need to keep them in residential construction. I'm a glass half full kind of guy. So I do, I have seen some developers take over their building contracts and set up shop and, and decide to become a builder themselves. We could have this conversation again in 10 years time. I reckon the next BGC it may very well come out of this conundrum. From the ashes, people rise. You spoke about uh, the experience people are having and, and I'm on site all the time and uh, it just feels like all the way down to the tradie level, everyone is just exhausted. And you know the tradies are the ones winning from this financially. They're all essentially getting paid double or three times what they were getting paid five years ago. So they're the only, probably the only ones financially winning out of this situation, if we're going to be honest about it. But they're not having a good time. They're talking about working four days a week because they're burnt out, which doesn't make it any easier for our supply lines getting things built. But, you know, the trade is burnt out. The builder is not only not making any money, is losing money on nearly every project they've signed for the last three years. And that must be a totally demoralizing situation. The apartment developer, most of them have been sitting on their hands for about two years because they can't make any of it stack up. And the client's sitting there frustrated with their deposit stuck in a trust account not being able to move on with their life. I, I look forward to the day when we're not talking about these these issues, Richard. And it's a very rare situation and probably lucky situation for those that are able to navigate this current environment. 
it's a challenging environment, but it's, it's, it's not impossible to navigate. If we are committed to maintaining our affordability mantra in Perth, we all collectively have to work together, the builder, the planners, the developers, the architects, the consumer, to deliver more houses. I see light at the end of the construction tiredness, I guess, because nothing new's been started. Mm. So so that, you know, the, the holiday's coming. There will be a holiday. The holiday's yeah. coming, and it's coming real soon yeah. unless we can unlock some more supply into the market, and we desperately need to do so. Richard Pappas, Managing Director of Celsius Property Group. It's been a fantastic and insightful conversation. I'm, I'm really grateful you've come in today, and thank you very much, and good luck for the rest of the year, especially with North Perth. I look forward to seeing that get up. Thanks very much, Trent. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!